Welcome to CCF Perspectives on ReachMD, providing Crohn's and colitis updates, driving innovation in IBD research, education, and clinical support. This series is produced in collaboration with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. From the Take Steps Philadelphia for Crohn's and Colitis, this is the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation Perspectives on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Adam Ehrlich, Assistant Professor of Medicine and Gastroenterologist, part of the Temple Inflammatory Bowel Disease Program at Temple University. With me today is Dr. Allison Kaufman, psychologist at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Today we're going to be discussing psychosocial issues in IBD. Dr. Kaufman, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. We're going to start very general. So is there a connection between mental health and chronic disease? Yes. And actually, there is a connection between mental health and the body in general. So in the general population, things like anxiety, depression, stress, these are things that are common, normative, and they are on a continuum. Our body will respond to stress and anxiety in a variety of ways. So if you've ever felt your neck is tense after a long day of work, that is a way that your body is expressing a lot of stress. If you ever felt butterflies in your stomach or a knot in your stomach, that's how you could also express anxiety. In general, we all feel these symptoms. In populations such as IBD, you certainly feel these as well. So there is definitely a connection between symptom reoccurrence, there's a connection between symptom exacerbation, and there's a connection between stress and inflammatory bowel disease or those patients who have those bowel disease. We also know that anxiety and depressive disorders are found at higher rates in individuals who have IBD, and this is most likely because of the psychosocial and interpersonal consequences that come secondarily to the disease itself. What are some of the common emotional reactions IBD patients may have while living with Crohn's or colitis? The onset of IBD is bimodal, so it tends to occur in the second or third decades of life, as well as the sixth and seventh decades of life. So if you think about these decades of life, they are very important in some ways. So when you are on the younger population, so the kids that I tend to see, you are experiencing the wanting to feel normal, you're wanting to fit in, and there's a lot of feelings of being different and also feelings of your peers won't understand and sometimes your peers don't understand, at least at first. You can really be affected as a child and as an adolescent and a young adult trying to find your way in the world and figure out who you are while at the same time having to deal with this diagnosis. In the later population, you've maybe figured out you thought you knew who you were and your identity, and now this is changing, and you maybe thought you had a vision for what the rest of your life was going to look like, and this kind of alters it. More specifically, other common psychosocial or interpersonal consequences tend to be body image dissatisfaction, you know, depending on if you have an ostomy, if there's weight loss, and how you appear. There's feelings of sexual inadequacy, hopefully for the older, (laughs) 18 and above. And then there's also things like social dependency or relying too much on other people or social isolation, really withdrawing and pulling away. Other issues as well include feeling inadequate in general, feeling like you don't have a purpose in life, dealing with a lot of stigma that comes with having a chronic disease, as well as withdrawal and feelings of worthlessness. What are some coping mechanisms that patients can use to help manage some of these emotional stresses? The most important thing to do is to use both active and adaptive coping strategies. In general, these can be kind of pared down into either emotion-focused strategies or problem-focused strategies. So active coping in general just means you're using your own internal resources to either actually change the situation, if it's possible to change the situation, or you're using your own resources to learn how to think and feel differently about the situation in order to change your reaction to the situation. Passive coping, on the other hand, involves a feeling of helplessness and relying on other people to resolve how you're feeling or your situation. 
We do know from research that with passive coping, you have poor psychological adjustment as well as poor adjustment to illness. You are withdrawing, you are avoiding, and you have kind of wishful thinking, like it's just going to go away. With active strategies, the emotion focus tend to really be for those things that you can't change. And so you're using a lot of things like journaling, mindfulness techniques, hobbies, humor. If you go on the web and you put in coping strategies, you can come up with lists of hundreds. I actually have one that I give to patients, which is like about 239 of just all sorts of things that you can do to keep your mind busy, to get you involved in other activities. Active Goal or problem-focused strategies tend to be those either if you can solve the situation, you're doing things like that. This might be something like medication adherence. These are things where you are also kind of reframing your meaning in terms of what this might mean for you and actively addressing it. With mindfulness techniques, these are things, I call them the trifecta. They help with sleep, anxiety, and stress. They're good for any of those things. These are things like deep breathing, so making sure you're breathing from your gut and not from your chest. If you breathe from your chest, you're actually going to develop the physiological symptoms of anxiety, even if you may not have been feeling that in the first place. There's something called progressive muscle relaxation, which is kind of going from the top to the bottom of your body and clenching and releasing all of your muscles. It kind of helps you realize what is tense and release it and also helps you kind of feel the opposite action of the muscle group. Visual imagery is also a great thing to use. These are things where you are hearing a script that's being read to you about a beautiful scene. It's touching all of the five senses, so you're really getting into it. It's taking your mind someplace else. Again, the web these days, you can find a lot of good things. Go to YouTube, write in any of these. They'll have guided mindfulness techniques that you can go through. So as a gastroenterologist, what can I do to help support the psychosocial needs of my IBD patients? Well, the first thing that I would say is probably pretty simple, but just to treat patients as people and not just a case to solve. When physicians are able to say, okay, here's the medical checkup now, how are you doing? You know, how's your family? How's work? How is, or school, you know, how are things going? You know, how are you coping so that you are addressing just in those simple questions and the patient really feels that you're caring for them as a whole person? And then if they're not coping well, I think it's important for practices, physicians to have at the ready resources that they can give patients. If you say, well, you should probably see a therapist for that, and you don't give them referrals, or you should say, oh, well, you should use some coping strategies, and you don't have something to give them, most likely patients won't be able to follow up on their own. So if you have a packet or a worksheet of mindfulness techniques or a packet of coping skills, or you have a list of health psychologist referrals or practitioners in the community that you know work with chronic illness that you can give, that would be really important. The other piece is that if possible in my ideal situation, so there's something called integrative medicine, which really in the last decade has taken off in primary care centers where they're embedding a psychologist within the medical practice. And so if you have someone like that, a behavioral health specialist who can come in and do a brief consultation for patients you might be worried about or patients who are struggling, that is working very well in the primary care setting. One of the things that would be really great is to be able to put behavioral health specialists in those specialty care practices that deal with chronic illness. I want to thank you, Dr. Allison Kaufman, for joining me today to talk about psychosocial issues in IBD. I think this is an absolutely crucial thing that often gets overlooked in the flurry of getting labs and medications and all that kind of stuff. So I really want to thank you. It's great having you on the program. Thank you for having me. I'm Dr. Adam Ehrlich, and to access this episode and others from the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation Perspectives, visit ReachMD.com to be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Crohn's and Colitis Foundation Perspectives on ReachMD, produced in collaboration with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. For access to this and other episodes and to download the ReachMD app, 
visit reachmd.com slash foundation.